0: Welcome to Leadership Talks with your host, Dr. Kate Vauder. In each episode, Kate speaks with successful leaders across industries, real people and local leaders. Each of our conversations explore different leadership styles, how people achieve unbelievable success, overcoming challenges, and how to become the best in the world. You can find this show at www.ascentsolutions.net and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Now, here's the host of Leadership Talk, Dr. Kate Vauder.
1: Welcome, Stephanie. Stephanie hey, Sims is our guest today, founder of Finance Ability.
2: Welcome. How's it going? It's quite great, Kate. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to get a chance to chat with you. I heard that you are kind of a numbers nerd, and so maybe we'll get to talk about numbers today. I, yeah, I am a numbers nerd uh, uh, and a people nerd.
1: Uh, I'm that, that weird human who sits in the middle and likes both, huh? which is fun for me. Um, but enough about me. Uh, I would love to hear um, a bit about your journey. So now, like now you're the founder and queen of financeability. Uh, what was before that? How did you get
2: from wherever that was to queen and Founderland. that's a great question uh so i started um started my career with a degree in finance the same year that michael milken went to jail <laughs> so clearly i was not a very hot prospect on the job market at that point uh but i worked in uh, ultimately made my way into investment banking and worked there for about a decade both here in the us and also in europe which really was an amazing experience to be able to see uh, different cultures and really learn a lot about the way that team building and interactions inside of a team can drive success or not. (laughs) Maybe we could talk a little bit about that after, Uh, but basically spent about a decade doing that and then worked in a startup that was founded um, overseas in Switzerland and uh, funded by both venture capitalists and angels, kind of rode that roller coaster uh, to an exit to a publicly traded company, and since then have been working with founders who are amazing at what they do, but often don't take the time or conquer the fear of uh, finance to be able to understand their numbers and really achieve that next level of success for them.
1: I have a couple follow-ups from that blurb. You used a bunch of words that I maybe know and maybe don't, and I'm confident not all of our listeners know. You mentioned angel, you mentioned venture capitalist. Uh, there were a number of like these
2: people, these people. What, who, like, what is that? What, what are those roles? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and it's true. I live kind of in the in the startup world and the funding world where those are sort of acronyms that get thrown around. So, an angel investor is someone who would invest in a very early stage business using their own money. So you might've heard them referred to as business angels. You might've heard people talk about an angel group, but it's somebody who essentially has decided that they want to support an early stage business with their own funding. And what's an early stage business? (laughs) So an early stage business can be a business that maybe has very little revenue because they've just launched their product or it might be a business that is in an industry that requires a long time to sell. So they might be selling into big companies and so it takes a while, Uh, but they just have not seen a level of success that's allowed them to get to profitability yet, which is the reason that they're looking for this capital infusion from the outside, which would be what an angel investor could provide or what a venture capitalist could provide.
1: Okay, what's the difference between an angel and a venture capitalist?
2: Great question, so an angel invests their own money and yep. a venture capitalist goes out and says to lots of people, I will invest your money for you in these early stage companies to get you an attractive investment return. Fascinating. So
1: I you mentioned um, like that you were in finance and what I heard was investment banking and like my mental image was Wall Street. Um, so have like were you, have you been in the venture capital
2: role? So I have worked as as an investor during my time as investment banking. The investment banking I did was focused on commercial real estate. So we weren't investing in early stage startups, but the methodology and the way that investors think is very similar regardless of the asset that they're investing in. So I would say I've definitely been an investor uh, during my investment banking days. And then I've also, um, having worked with both angels and venture capitalists, I've also seen that investor mentality in early stage businesses up close and personal. Fascinating. Okay, I interrupted your career journey. Carry on. Oh, no, that's good. That was that was kind of it. Um, Maybe the one other thing that I think um, is, is a motivating factor for me is that my parents were entrepreneurs. My dad owned a business from the time I was in high school. And it was really in watching them um look at what happened next for them as they were looking towards retirement and they were thinking oh my gosh we've done this great thing we've built this wonderful business how do we you know how do we monetize that how do we capitalize on that Um, that was one of the places where i realized that they were so smart and so dedicated to their clients and their team and they understood so well how their business worked but these sort of financial mechanisms and the notions of valuation and these other things really threw them for a loop and I was really honored to be able to help them sort of navigate that process so that they came out the other side of it with a with a successful exit for them. Oh, my God, that's so cool. What a beautiful gift to give your parents. Yeah, Well, and and it was funny because um, that was a that was a, a point where I had not really launched my consulting business. And I would say that's kind of the genesis of, of what I did as a consultant, um, because I realized that, yes, it was something that people so desperately needed and were um, were willing to engage in with somebody that they trusted because it's mm-hmm. it's hard to talk about your money it's hard to talk about something that you've spent 25 years building and put a price tag on it um, yeah. it's it's challenging absolutely so how did what sparked what maybe it was working with your
1: parents but what was the spark of like I'm going to leave investment banking proper and be a founder <laughs>
2: Yeah. So I do think my parents' experience, that that experience I had with them was a big part of it because I realized that, hey, these are super successful people who deeply understand and care about the problem they're solving, the customers they help, their team and everything. They're doing it all right. But somehow mm-hmm. they get sort of stuck when it comes to talking to a banker or negotiating the sale of their business or you know looking for an investor. Um, and so that to me was sort of the genesis of, I want to help them. And I recognize that a lot of times the the people that they're looking for help from are very qualified technical experts, but they're mm-hmm. sort of missing that human element. And so there's a, there's kind of a breakdown in trust and there's a, there's an inability sometimes to say what they're really thinking or what they really want, because they're facing this expert who seems to have all the answers and, and they don't necessarily understand themselves what that person's saying, but they're so successful that they're hesitant to say, I, I don't know what you mean
1: yeah totally i i see that where and sometimes with clients who will be working with you know a consultant other than me and the like the way a lot of folks listen is that what is said is truth and is it and th- from where i said i've always got lots of questions and like show me the data like i want like just because you because this person says this is the way and the truth uh-uh. like no but let's talk about that and i think you know as we as owners and founders hire experts there's this assumption that a lot of folks have of oh they know what they're doing and what they say must be the only right answer um and i could definitely see that in a space with with numbers um because of many humans innate fear of numbers yeah
2: and i think i think we could even see it in something as simple as the way that a lot of um entrepreneurs manage their accounting right Mm -hmm. so a lot of times they're like you you can ask them about their financials and they're like, oh, I don't do that. My accountant does that. Or I, I give that to my bookkeeper. I'm not involved in the numbers. and And it's kind of shocking to me because the numbers have so much value. Once you get past the fear of them and you understand what they're telling you, right? To me, to me, it's just a different language for telling a story like that's what the numbers do. But it's true. It's a different language. And so for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I don't speak that language. Yeah.
1: How do you as you're working with folks, how do you how do you help them move through that like, oh, my accountant does it to being able to read their
2: own story? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, A lot of what I try to do is similar to what you mentioned, which is I think I think you need to have some empathy for folks who have a history with money. Right. Money carries an emotional charge. And for a lot of people looking at a financial statement, even though it seems really simple for a banker or an accountant or somebody who does it all the time. For some people, they feel like it's a it's a grade that's like getting put on their forehead. They're back in school and they've taken a test and maybe they've failed and they don't want to look at the result. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's there's a lot of empathy that's needed. And I think that a lot of what I do is education as opposed to oh I think I think a lot of what I do is education as opposed to necessarily um, saying what somebody should do, yeah. right? Like in my mind, if I'm going to help a client, it's not my business, it's not my place to make a decision about them. It's my place to give them the information they need so they can make the best decision for themselves. And and I think that gets to the point that you were talking about where a lot of times consultants come in and they're like, well, you hired me to tell you what to do. So I'm gonna tell you what to do and that's the only option and that's it. Like you should just do what I say. And I think my approach is quite different. My approach is more like, help me understand who you are, what you want to do, where you're trying to go because there's always more than one way to get where you want to go. But if I don't know where you're trying to go, then I might give you a piece of advice that actually takes you in the wrong direction. Absolutely. That makes total sense to me.
1: (laughs) You're speaking my language. yeah, so of of working, well, I guess tell me about the day-to-day of like what
2: does FinanceAbility do? Who is your ideal client? Yeah, so I think that's a that's a great question. And I'm actually myself, I can I can be so sympathetic and empathetic about people going through transitions, because I'm also uh, in a phase of transition in my business where I'm adding some technology as part of our offerings. And so I've been um, reducing the amount of direct consulting I'm doing because I feel that there's a a great opportunity to uh, support people a, a bigger group of people with some technological solutions. And so I get to live through the founder journey again even though I see it in my clients, like I'm living it right now myself. And I think that um, a big part of what is exciting to me is to be able to sit with a fellow entrepreneur and and have them feel comfortable enough to share with me, like this is what actually worries me, or this is the place where I have unanswered questions and I feel like I can't ask anybody else. Um, I feel like that's that's actually an honor (laughs) for me to be able to hear that from them and um even if i don't have the answer hopefully to be able to connect them to someone in my network that might be able to help them move forward on that on that thing that's keeping them up at night
1: what kind you mentioned being able to answer questions that people feel safe to ask you can you share some examples of what kind of questions that you're like yes they asked a good one
2: yeah so i think sometimes the sometimes the most basic questions are the ones that nobody will ask Right. So at the beginning of this conversation, you said, well, hold on before we go any further, like what is an angel investor and what is a venture capitalist? And I'm I'm amazed at how few people deeply understand those two things, but don't ask that question. And so I think that um, in in certain respects, like there's a lot of excitement in solving a particularly difficult technical challenge and finding a really you know sp- sophisticated answer. But I'm almost more excited when we get to tackle the. The big questions that nobody wants to ask because they're afraid that they're gonna look silly by asking it
1: yeah yeah i have so i'm gonna ask a question on behalf of some clients i'm working with of they've like they've mastered the space that they're in and are interested in scalability of expansion of like multiple locations of sorts for folks who are in that stage of their business where they've got down what they're doing, but are ready to grow. What what's your two cents on that or more than two cents? Because you're great at what you do. So
2: well, thank you. Um, So I think I think that the, the biggest thing that I've learned and that I see it repeated over and over is that every time you want to change something, you're kind of starting over. And I Mm -hmm. think especially when you've had a certain level of success, it's really hard to get that beginner mindset because you're like, well, I already know what I'm doing. So this should be easy. Like, why is it so hard for me to duplicate all my efforts and open a new location? Or why is it so hard for me to attract a new target client when I've got all these wonderful clients over here? And so I think some of it happens kind of between the ears. I think that one of the bigger challenges to growth is really related to how we as the entrepreneur approach and what we expect of ourselves, right? Sometimes we raise the bar really high and we end up kind of hurting ourselves because we're expecting more than we should be. And then I think more concretely, it's about understanding where the economies of scale or where this sort of benefits of being bigger should help you. And then also looking for the places and the potential obstacles that with your experience in your current business, you can see coming, right? So uh, if you're looking at a franchise model, for example, it's important maybe to think back to what were the mistakes that you made early on in your own business and how would you help a franchisee navigate those with hopefully fewer problems, right? Fewer mistakes, fewer errors. And that might even take the form of like a handbook, right? Okay. Here's, here's what you need to do in the first 90 days of your franchise ownership. And I know some of the successful franchises, that's part of what they offer. You know, Mm -hmm. they offer a handbook, they offer training, they offer connections to uh, vendors and other folks who can really help the the new franchise owner get up to speed a lot quicker and avoid some of those um, those early errors. That makes sense. Um, I want to circle back to this fear of numbers
1: idea and the like. As a business owner, as a founder, as a GM, like what are what are the numbers you would want people to know and look at? How often do you want them to look at those numbers? Like, teach me a little bit about business number land and what I should
2: be looking at. Sure. So one of the fundamentals, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but one of the fundamental things I think a lot of people ignore is their monthly financial statements. So you do not need to be an accountant. Like your, your goal with looking at your monthly financials is not to verify that everything looks right in accounting land. It's to understand what's actually happening in your business. And so in that respect, the the most valuable income, the most valuable statement of the three financial statements is your income statement, because it tells you of everything I sold this month, did I actually make money, Mm -hmm. right? And when you look at your income statement at a high level, you don't have to go all the way in the details at the beginning. But when you look at it at a high level, it can tell you, if you're not making money, where you're investing the most money that might not be giving you a good return. Right. So sometimes sometimes what happens is people are doing a really good job at the product level. So they have a good what's called gross margin. Right. So Mm -hmm. they sell their product at a good price and what it costs them to provide the product is relatively small. So they have a lot of money left over to run the business. But then when they run the business, there's lots of expenses that may not necessarily contribute to selling or to supporting their customers or to keeping the business healthy. And so a lot of times just looking at the income statement in that way and saying, where am I spending the most money? And let me analyze what return i got on the investment i made this month sometimes that can be a really easy exercise um you can even do it if you don't look at your income statement you could even do it off your bank transactions so you could download your bank transactions and you could just say okay of all the cash that went out of my bank account this month what did i expect to get for this expense and sometimes just that exercise you can realize like no, I don't know why I have a Zoom account. I love Zoom, don't get me wrong. Right. But it's like maybe in your business, like a webinar, a webinar platform is no longer useful for you. And so you you just stop paying for it. Right? right. That's an immediate realization that could save you some money. And vice versa, you know, maybe, maybe what you're doing is you're investing in um, a relationship with somebody who's helping you in a specific aspect of your business. And you've just been doing it for a while, but you don't really know what value you're getting from that. It might be time to talk to that person and say, hey, let's um, let's reevaluate, let's set some goals for our work together. And, you know, by the end of the year, here's where I think we should be in this particular domain. Do you think that's achievable? Right. So it can it can prompt you to to take actions that either save you money or get more value out of the money that you're already investing. That makes sense of, so the income statement
1: of like, that's one page, is it lots of pages where like- Yeah, so normally- Where do I pull
2: my income statement from? That's a great question. So hopefully most business owners will have an accounting system that they're using. The, The most popular one is probably QuickBooks Online. And in that system, what happens is your account, your bank transactions come in. And you categorize them, and that generates automatically inside of QuickBooks something called the income statement or the profit and loss. So you can just go into your report section, and you can click profit and loss, and you pick what period. You could look at it for a month, or you could look at it for the year to date. You know, however you want to do this analysis. Um, but it should generate automatically. Normally, in a in a business, you want to look at the high level first, which should definitely fit on one page. And for a lot of us, because our businesses are just not that complicated even sort of the detailed level view where you could see all of the different accounts that have that hold your transactions would probably fit on one to two pages so you're not having to read a book every month right you want to take a look at it and you want to see where the big investments have been made and then d- drill down to see like am i getting a return on that investment and it could be something like brand awareness i mean everything doesn't have to be you know okay great i made an investment that directly led to clients but you yeah. need to at least understand what you're expecting from right. that investment. Because if you're just investing money without a goal, then really what you're doing is spending. Right.
1: You okay. So you mentioned before we talked about income statements, you said there's three financial statements. And the most important is the income statements. What are the other
2: two? That's a great question. So the other two, one is called the cash flow statement. And I think that's the next most important one. And then the last one is called the balance sheet. And so, so the income statement tells you of everything you sold, did you make money this month? That's super important, right? Because you need to be on a path to profitability. You need to know right. that when you sell things, you actually get to keep money after, otherwise you don't have a business. But depending on who you sell to and how you, what kind of product you sell, the the money that you made, the profit that you made may not actually all be in your bank account this month. Because let's take the example of a product business. If you sell a coffee mug, I have a coffee mug here, right? If you sell a coffee mug, well, you have to pay for the coffee mug before you can put it in your store to sell it. And so that means that there's cash that went out your door last month, probably, maybe even two months ago to get the coffee mug, to put it on your shelf so you can sell it today. So on your profit and loss statement, you'll make money on that coffee mug. But in terms of cash, it's already been two months that you paid for that coffee mug and you haven't gotten any revenue to match it. And so the cash flow statement helps you understand, not just, did you make money on what you sold, but where did cash come into your business and where did cash go out of your business? And that's really helpful because if you're making money, but you don't have enough cash to pay your bills, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: then you have a business, but that's probably headed for big problems right? Because everyone knows that you need to be able to pay your bills, not just say that you have a profitable business. And so that's where the cash flow statement can be really helpful. Um, It can help you also understand some of the trends in your business, right? So sometimes what will happen is you're making a lot of money, but you may be afraid to call clients who don't pay their bills on time and say to them, Hey, um, that bill is 30 days overdue, or that bill is 45 days overdue. And so Your profit and loss statement says, yes, you're making lots of money, but there's no cash in the bank because your account's receivable, which shows on your cash flow statement, is huge, right? Like, basically what you're doing is you're giving credit to all your customers and you're not collecting that cash from them. And so it can help you. Again, you can tell I'm super pragmatic. Like, I don't want you reading a financial statement for the sake of reading a financial statement. It's only if it's going to help you do something. But, you know, if you look and you see, oh, yes, my accounts receivable balance is really high. Well, then that means let's get on the phone. Let's collect some of that money. Let's get the cash in the bank. Right. Right. So just to clarify,
1: accounts receivable is money owed to my to business. Yeah. Okay. And then I think I remember from an accounting class way back when the other one is accounts payable. Hundred percent. And that's what you owe other people. OK. OK. So, maybe, well, I am I aiming for a low accounts payable? Well, I guess maybe low on both because I don't I don't want a high accounts receivable because then I then people owe me money.
2: Yeah, well, and I think it's I think it's all relative, right? So so one thing to look for, for example, would be a big, uh, a big imbalance between those two. So if what happens is you pay all your bills early and your accounts payable balance is zero Mm -hmm. and no one pays you on time. (laughs) So your accounts receivable balance is huge. Well. You may be a wonderful person and your vendors will certainly love you and your clients may love you too, but you're going to have a really hard time paying everybody else that needs to be paid like your employees and yourself. And so I think that using this data, again, it's not about I'm a bad person or I made a mistake or, you know, I'm doing it wrong. It's more like, where can I fine tune my business so that I can focus on the pieces of it that I really like? Right, because a lot of times we get into business because we love something. We love helping our clients. We love the technology that we've created or the product that we've built. Like there's something about the business that we love. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what we see in the financials is kind of a finger being put on the place of the business that we don't really like anyway. Right, right. Well, with,
1: with that, I'm gonna take a pause and let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors.
0: Leadership Talks is proudly sponsored by Ascent Solutions, where we believe people are the best investment. Do you manage a team or own your own business? Research shows that when employees feel invested in and feel a sense of connection with the people they work with, they are more productive and more likely to stay with their current employer. At Ascent Solutions, we offer services including leadership coaching, professional development workshops, and brand development consulting, all of which are available in person or online. It is always the right time to invest in yourself and in your team. Visit us at ascentsolutions.net to schedule a complimentary consultation today.
1: Welcome back. I'm gonna pivot. I think we talked about numbers and that may have maxed out some of our listeners interest in numbers. (laughs) Totally understand. And you always need a break from the numbers too. Right. Uh, I want to talk more about, about mindset. So as you're working with a client and I think in particular about women in business and how we've just, we've been taught that math is hard and I'm not going to look at it because that's for the accountants. Um, How, how do you help clients in particular women get over that hurdle
2: of math is hard so i think that's a great question and i think it's not um it's it's not something that is a magic bullet right so it's not like it's it's like any habit let's think about it that way right if we have these sort of habitual ways of thinking which is i'm not good at that so i'm not going to do it um we all know that kind of avoidance creates more Fear and more challenges. And then when we finally try to do it, it seems almost impossible because we've kind of created in our own heads a a bigger barrier to to doing the thing. Um, So I try to encourage people to take very, very small steps. And and what I've discovered is quite often with women and other underrepresented underrepresented entrepreneurs, some of it just comes from a lack of familiarity. Right. So maybe you never took an accounting class or you took one, but it was years ago. And you haven't looked at numbers, you know, your financials since because you have somebody who's helping you, um, sometimes taking a really small step, like asking for your accountant to explain it to you. So maybe what happens now, maybe your relationship is your accountant prepares your financials once a quarter and sends them by email and says, if you have any questions, call me. Well, that person is providing a service to you. And so you could say to that person, let's get on a 30 minute call and I would like you to walk me through what you see, right? So so I think I know what's happening in the business from my perspective. I want your perspective on what's happening in the business. And so then you're meeting that person not as um, someone who doesn't know what's happening, but you're meeting that person as a provider of a different perspective. And then you can oftentimes see how that person might help you learn more about the specific areas where you have questions because if you're asking questions and they're kind of resistant to answering your questions then maybe that's a good indication that they're not the right provider for you because you want somebody who's going to be a little more hands-on somebody who's going to help you understand the numbers instead of just kind of throw them over to you by email right that makes sense and i think to be a a Open to being a good
1: teacher of like I don't I don't need my accountant to teach me everything, but I do need them to be open to answering questions and to put it bluntly, not be a tool about it. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't want to feel like a burden for asking asking a question about numbers.
2: And I think that that goes back also to that mindset of yes, it is okay not to know all the answers. Like that's why you hire experts. And I think that it's it's kind of strange. Right. So in other domains of our business, um, if we're talking to a marketing person or we're talking to other experts, we may not be quite so reticent to say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why, why would we do that? But in the financial aspect of our business, quite often we're we're feeling very vulnerable because we don't understand what's happening. And a lot of times we're like, well, OK, they're the expert. I should just be quiet and let them say what they're going to say. That's
1: Super interesting and a really fascinating observation. So to all of our listeners, ask the good questions to the money people. <laughs> you deserve
2: answers. Exactly. And remember, you're the client. Like that's yeah. the, that's where sometimes I do get frustrated um, with with folks who say, "Well, I asked my accountant and they didn't answer me," and I'm like, "That doesn't sound right. <laughs> like that's yeah. just bad customer service. That's not that's not expecting a base level of knowledge or anything else. That's just bad customer service." absolutely yeah i i say the same thing i'm like whoa 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 you're the client
1: you're the owner you do know give yourself more credit this is your business
2: like you are the expert here you do know exactly and i think that i think that the once we get to the point where we recognize that this is an important source of information for us then we can also get past a little bit of that mindset sort of reticence and dive in. Because the reality is, when you see the better, the, the improvement in decision making that you can have by understanding deeply what's happening in your financials, I think everybody that I've worked with who's gotten to that point is like, oh my gosh, like, had I known this sooner, it could have saved me from a lot of, you know, poor decisions or decisions I would have maybe done differently, simply because I didn't have the full picture, right? So, so I think it's less about, it's less about like, oh, I'm not good at that. And it's more about what angle am I not seeing my business from? And that angle is super important, right? Yeah. Yeah, as a
1: research methods professor, my, of like, and as a consumer, as a person, like I've got a couple of relationships with numbers. Um, and one of which is that it's it's data. And so I'm not like, I don't feel fear when I'm logging into my accounts because it's data of like and if I were if I were to look at somebody else's account rather than my own, I would be able to look at it super objectively and look for the patterns around like what categories, how much, how frequently, and so the this idea of like, let's let's take my let's take self out of it let's take ego out of it and look at the numbers for what they are and that it's data and within that data we can find patterns we can find themes and look for values alignment of is our money being directed in a way that aligns with our values and our goals uh and so in, in that sense if i would encourage listeners to put on their researcher hat and and Give the accounts a fresh look from, from the perspective of like, hey, I'm gonna be a researcher and I'm gonna look at this data rather than looking at the emotional piece of it and the dollar signs of like, oh, we like I have some folks who, you know, get really worried about payroll or really worried about s- spending money. And it's like, well, that's that's part of business, of there's there's gonna be cash flow in and there's gotta be cash flow out. Um, so of taking taking ego hat off putting researcher hat on and and just trying to see it in to some extent a, a fresh light without the emotion because it's it's just data that's it
2: <laughs> yeah and i love your idea of of thinking about it as an investment and and i think this is something that a lot of us don't don't do we we see the decisions that we make with our money quite often as, some, as a personal reflection on us, right? Oh, I made yeah. a bad I made a bad decision. Well, okay, but you could have made a bad decision in your marketing, you could have made a bad decision in product, you could have made a bad decision in lots of different places. Just throwing up your hands and saying I made a bad decision doesn't actually help you move forward. Right? What right. you need to do is understand how you came to that decision. Because maybe what happened is you did the best you could with the information you had at that point And it just didn't turn out the way that you had hoped. Right. And so I I love the idea of kind of putting on the research hat and looking, digging into the data to see what it can tell you not to beat yourself up, but to to improve, right? To figure out, like, what's the best place to go from here? Um, There's a maybe I'll share a couple of resources because I do know for some people, these money stories are really challenging. It feels Mm -hmm. very fraught. Um, Do you know Kate Northrup? Have you ever read any of her stuff? So it's an it's an older book. It's really good. It's called Money: A Love Story, and she talks about um, she talks a lot about her personal financial story. But she also is a business owner, and so some of it uh, kind of leans into the into the business ownership part. So that can be really helpful. And it's it's got some parts where you just kind of laugh out loud. So it's it's really good to help you. Maybe if you're really feeling like I can't look at the money, it makes me it freaks me out. And then another one in a totally different vein that again is kind of a laugh out loud is uh, Jen Sincero. It's you're a bad a you can say, yeah, <laughs> OK, you're a badass, you're a badass at making money. Um, And so I think those two, if you're really feeling stuck, like, oh, my gosh, I have so much anxiety just looking at my QuickBooks. Try one of those. You don't have to read the whole thing, but just knowing that there are plenty of other highly successful people who have felt exactly what you feel and have managed to, to get past it can be helpful as well um, because, the key to being successful to me in your business is being able to continue to grow your business towards the goal you set for yourself. And if you can't look at how you're progressing along that path to your goal, you'll never even know if you get there. right? Right. So that's, that's, I don't want that for anyone.
1: I want to talk more about your goal setting methods what's your practice for yourself for your business as it relates to setting goals and mapping out a path to get there if that's a thing that
2: you do yes yeah, so that is a great question um, and it's something that I'm working on as we kind of as I move into this new iteration of the business um, there's so many tools out there right the goals should be smart and they should look like this and And so I think it's sometimes you can go a little too far in the whole, like, let's get it planned and perfect. I think there is a good, you need to have a good balance between the rational side of your head and Mm -hmm. the heart of what you're actually trying to accomplish in your business. And so to me, I lean more to the planning side. So a lot of times my goals are a little bit more concrete to start with, but then I gut or heart check them with what is the actual mission of what I'm trying to accomplish. And so a lot of times my goals are more around specific metrics, right? I want to have, you know, this number of uh, individuals that I work with. I want to have this number of experiences that they have or things like that. But then I want to move that over and say, okay, what do I want those folks to come out of working with me feeling like and being able to do? And so sometimes what that means is that you have to scale back your ambitions on the sort of number side because if you're not gonna be able to provide a quality experience to all of those folks, then maybe you need to work with fewer of them, which ultimately is how I got to the whole idea of the platform that I wanna build now, Um, because there's only so much of you to go around. And if you're in a service business um, at a certain point, you wanna help more people than you're actually physically able to in that iteration of your business. That makes sense. So I'm hearing, have a
1: vision, choose a direction, and stay true to your values and and be comfortable in in the goal pivot because values alignment is is the crux of of what we do.
2: A hundred percent and it's and it's so funny because as I'm uh, I, I know you mentioned that you know people are kind of the the heart of what you do and it's funny because in my business that's the same thing. even though we help them in very different aspects of their business, To me, if you're not focused on the the quality of the experience that your customers have and you're not focused on leaving them better than when they started with you, then I think it's hard to be excited about the fact that you you doubled revenue or doubled your number of users or anything like that, at least for me. And so that's where I think you have to find the balance, right? You, You definitely want to continue to grow, but you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're growing um, at the same time that it kind of gives you heartburn at night because you don't feel like you're you're doing right by the people that you're working with.
1: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. I appreciate the goals question comes up in a number of podcasts and I appreciated your answer. It was a nice, happy middle because there's, there's a couple spectrums on that of like I've had some folks who are like, no goals ever. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. And then other folks who are, you know, I will design 10 smart goals each quarter and and be really prescripted. So I appreciate your your approach and your um leaning into the, the doing what's right for people.
2: Um, and, and actually, can I, can I share one more thing? Because just because I work with a lot of companies that, that have a goal of getting funded, Mm, can I just share that? Like that should not be a goal because yeah, tell us why getting somebody else to give you money means you're a good salesperson, but the reality is if, if you want to build your business you should leverage that selling capacity to get clients to give you money not to get angels or venture capitalists to give you money because when clients give you money that actually generates revenue and means that you're selling something and building your business towards profitability when angels and venture capitalists give you money they expect you to spend it to get clients to buy and so to me it it doesn't mean that angel or venture capital is a bad method for financing your business. It simply means that it's not a good metric for measuring the progress of your business. The fact that you raise a lot of venture capital for your business, doesn't mean you're any further along the road to success than if you'd gotten an equal amount of revenue from clients. So, so I just want to be, have people be cautious because in the public press now we see so many things about, let's talk about this big company that got all this money. And it's like, dude all that means is they just still have to go do the work of like getting clients and delivering their solution and helping those clients stay happy so yeah so it's not really it's not a goal to me to raise funding it's what do you do with the money and so that's when um, that's when it gets exciting is when people realize that no the money itself is not the goal it's it's getting clients to buy and actually helping them so that so that they continue to work with you that's a really good point and
1: I think a thing for all of us to to be aware of and in particular those of us who went to business school and and get hammered into our minds about like must get funded and that's that's a path but to to your point getting funded doesn't solve necessarily customer needs or customer problems like that's just that's a thing um that is yeah shows sales sales skills not meeting meeting needs um I've got one last category of sorts of questions. Um, you are this vibrant, strong woman in Thank a you. space where it's I'll just call it like it is. There's not a ton of vibrant, strong women in this mm-hmm. space. So I'm curious what advice you can give or direction of for, for women who are interested in being working in finance or funding um ha- how would they go about
2: starting that path yes yeah, so th- thank you first that's that's very sweet i really appreciate it um i think that obviously y- you can only start from your own experience and your own your own sort of comfort zone. Although you always, if you want to work in in an industry where you're not sort of the typical person working in the industry, you're always going to run up and you're going to have to get outside your comfort zone because you're going to run into a lot more barriers. Um, I would say that for me in the beginning, when I thought about being part of finance, it was a little bit mythical because it was when I was in college. Right. And, you know, I'd Mm -hmm. seen all the movies and whatever. And, and so I think that one thing I would suggest is before you decide that you absolutely want to be in an industry, whether it's you know male dominated or not, like you should try it out. Like I'm now that I have kids, I, I wish I had pushed my kids a little more to do like internships or summer jobs or something. Because I think you have in your head this idea that, oh my gosh, this this particular domain is going to be it for me. I love it, it's great. And you don't actually know what the day-to-day of it looks like. So I would say experience it first to decide if it really feels like a good fit for you. And then I would say that um, thinking through what your goal is. So for example, for some people, they might want to get into venture capital because they really want to um, be an investor to try to e- to equalize the, the lower funding that arrives for female founders, right? Well, so if that's mm-hmm. your mission, then now there's an entire community around what are called emerging fund managers, where you can get um, you can get education, you can be part of an accelerator, you can get access to a lot of tools. And so now there are support systems that can help someone who's very clear about that being their goal, get connected and get up and running very fast. Likewise, if you're a founder and you believe that the only path for you is towards venture capital because you you wanna build a really big business, I would encourage you to connect with folks who work in your industry A lot of times you can reach out to people who've been successful in your industry, women who've been successful in your industry, and you may discover that they're angel investors themselves. Or you can look at angel, uh, uh, sorry, female focused funders like Golden Seeds, which is a group of angel investors that are all women. There's lots of others. I'm just naming a few. Or there are even now venture capital funds that are specifically focused either on products for women, because women are one of the largest consumer purchasers and control Mm. a lot of the household budget, or Mm. they're focused on funding female founders. And so I would say there's, um, while there's still a lot of challenges, there's never been as many opportunities for someone who wants to break into uh, the venture capital world, the startup world, uh, than we have right now. And I would also say that that doesn't apply just to women. There is an increasing focus on underrepresented founders on both sides of the house as well. Um, and you know, if if you'd like more resources, I'm happy to send you a list of resources that you can send to folks who are interested. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that and appreciate the that there's so many options. And I totally agree with you on the try it. I just had a meeting yesterday with, with a client whose early career and It's like you know if you could try something and you totally hate it that's a big win (laughs) because we know we can cross it off the list and not go that direction um so yes try it of the you know as i work with folks and teach classes sometimes i'll challenge clients or students to reach out to leaders and ask to shadow somebody for half a day and like blame it on me of, hey, my leadership coach said that I should reach out to somebody and see, you know, see if I could shadow you for half a day. Um, And so many people are willing, willing to say yes to that because it doesn't have to be a full blown internship or a job like just to to shadow somebody for even even just a meeting or two is gets you just a little bit in that world to see, like, what's the vibe? Do I like it? Is this interesting? Or did I get the yawns and not want to have anything to do with this place? (laughs) And like both are good because it's a it's a strong feeling. And then, you know, like, yes, keep going or no, cross it off the list. So before before I close this up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today?
2: Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much to you, Kate. It was a pleasure to chat with you um, and an honor to to be with you today. And then I would say to anyone that's listening, um, maybe the maybe the the parting thought would be that um, you are going you need to be the best investor in yourself and if you're an entrepreneur in your business. And so as you're thinking about all the different things that you have to do in a given day, maybe it's worth it to take a minute and say. What is it that I'm expecting as a return on the investment I'm about to make? And if you don't have a good answer, just put it to the bottom of the list. Like there's no prizes for getting through a to do list of 50 things. Nobody gives you points for that. So only focus on the things where you have a very clear idea of how it's going to benefit you or teach you something in the nearer term. That's great advice. Thank you so
1: much. Well, I want to thank Stephanie Sims, founder of Finance Ability for being a wonderful guest today. I want to thank the behind the scenes production team who are magicians at their craft Uh, and i want to especially thank our listeners for tuning in i hope that our session today helped you both to understand some of numbers land and to know that it's a journey right of like we're going to learn piece by piece and that you are far more capable than any calculator or spreadsheet like brains brains have more power than calculators so as a friendly reminder you matter You are enough and the world is a better place when you let your light shine. Until next time, thanks all.
0: You've been tuning into Leadership Talks with your host, Dr. Kate Vodder. You can find this show and learn how to be one of the best in the world at www.ascentsolutions.net. And on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing the show with others.